Ulterior. The TL is full of Elden Ring discourse, and I kind of just pretend to be in the absolute complete no about everything relating to that game. Um, so I've played Dark Souls before, and that game really, really, really pushed, like, the threshold for difficulty that I have in video games, which is not very high at all. I remember being a kid and playing Ninja Gaiden and just getting completely fucking wrecked every single turn, seemingly. Um, so Dark Souls was, like, it, I enjoyed the game for what it was, but it really, really wasn't for me, and so for that reason, you know, I didn't play Bloodborne, I didn't play any of, of the other Souls games. Um, Elden Ring, I like the idea of it, I love the way the game looks, um, but uh, I'm literally about to start a new job next week, so... Now is not the time for me to try investing any time into a game like that. Um, I also saw a screen cap from the game calling you maidenless, so essentially bitchless, and I already deal with, like, uh, you know, struggles in my head on a daily basis, an hourly basis, a minutely basis. I do not need a game to tell me that I don't got bitches. So, yeah, we're gonna leave it at that. Uh, today's episode. So this is a really, really big week for the scene. Stacked week. I loved so much of what I and others were able to listen to last week. So uh, I'm going to go through some singles from Static Dress, Rain City Drive, Loveless, and a couple of others. And then new records from, if not for me, Early Eyes, Avril Lavigne, and Bad Fucking Omens. So yeah. Thanks everybody. Enjoy this chapter. At some point last week, it was announced that Machine Gun Kelly is going to be a playable character in WWE 2K22, which is incredibly out there and so random and strange. But to be fair, I feel like that's kind of like the notions provided with anything related to MGK nowadays, you know, being wild and weird and just uh, good, bad, better, worse. Um... There's definitely a lot to say about MGK. I'll have that chance later on this month because his new album Mainstream Sellout is supposed to be releasing on March 25th. Maybe that ends up being, you know, pushed back or something. I don't know. But right now, March 25th is what we're looking at for that record. Um, but back to what I said about the playable character. Yeah, that's really strange. But, you know, uh, if that's what you're into, if, if you're an MGK fan and you want to play the video game to play as him, then sure. Uh... I, I don't really know if anybody who would play that kind of a game is going to be interested in playing as him, but, you know, it'd be what it'd be. I looked at the track list for that game's soundtrack, and it's it has, it has quite a bit of scene representation. Um, Happy Song by Bring Me the Horizon, Say Cheese by Poppy, Hollywood Sucks by Kenny Hoopla, and the final episode by Asking Alexandria. The final episode might be the weirdest song I've ever seen be licensed for a big video game like that. Um, I, I can't imagine anybody who would be playing a professional wrestling game would care to listen to the final episode, but, um, 
sure, I guess, you know, this is all really, really strange, dude. Like, I, I, I don't know who clears the soundtrack because I feel like if you were to actually go through asking, they would have rathered something from Suits on the Inside or like House on Fire to make into a game, but good that it's the final episode. I think the final episode is one of the best songs ever made. It's one of my favorite songs ever at the very least, off of one of my favorite records of all time. Um, and yeah, that's where we're going to leave that out right now. Uh, new singles. So, uh, again, very, very stacked week, huge fucking week. There were so many singles that I had to leave off of scene to go overlook because of how strong the records were, which is a shame, but you know, I will give them their proper time and attention right now. And I, I, I guess as a segue from what I said about being a shame, brand new set address single called such a shame. And along with this came an official announcement about a release date for Rouge Carpet Disaster, the debut album by Sad Dress. This record is coming out on May 18th, which is a Wednesday. So a, a really, really strange day to be dropping a record. Um, for me personally, uh, this record coming out May 18th means the world to me in ways that I am not ready to talk about yet. Uh, but I will talk about that once I actually come on this show in May to review Rouge Carpet Disaster. Um, and I guess kind of like, uh, with, with some ties to what I've been saying right now, um, Such a Shame is the first song I've listened to so far this year that made me cry. And legitimately, so many times I've heard the song since then, I just cannot help but like feel my eyes just like start to water up and it, 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 it's a really, really cool feeling to, um, you know, have this kind of an attachment to a song and a band for that matter, because I've gone on, on at lengths before on this show about what static dress mean to me, what I believe they can mean to the scene moving forward. And, um, such a shame. It does so much to further, like, just hammer in what I've been saying about this band and the range of them and the versatility, because such a shame is, the, so the execution of it is a little bit different from Sweet and Dissenter, which were the other two singles from Rouge Carpet Disaster. Such a Shame is quite slower, and it has like a, a similar feel to one of the songs off of Prologue, which is the EP comic book thing that Static Dress did back in December. I can't remember the name of the song off the top of my head right now, but I remember comparing it to The Killers, and I would say that is kind of what's also happening with Such a Shame. Um, it, it, it just feels like this band has taken the best elements of like post-hardcore and emo music from the 2000s, the 2010s, then now the contemporary 2020s. Um, the chorus is just so goddamn impactful and it just tugs at my heartstrings every single time I hear it. I think that I moved on too soon, just left here with my thoughts gripped on losing you, dying here with open palms, final thoughts dead in her arms, I think that I moved on too soon. This is a phenomenal song, an absolutely monstrous track that I cannot put down. I haven't been able to stop listening to this since I first heard it over the weekend. Such a Shame is the perfect single for Rouge Carpet Disaster, and honestly, at this point, I am going into this record on May 18th expecting nothing but perfection.
Rain City Drive, FKA Slaves, have a new single out called Dreams. We are at three years now since all that shit between Slaves and Johnny Craig went down and then Johnny left the band, was kicked out of it, whatever happened, and they got Matt McAndrew on like a complete fucking last minute, you know, uh, fucking half court shot buzzer beater. And they've done nothing but deliver dubs every single chance that they get. Um, you know, I, I've said before on the show about what to better days meant to me back in 2020. It, it's still a record that I go back to very, very often. Um, I, I, I love that album with all my heart and the same can be applied to the two most recent singles from Rain City Drive. Uh, there was a uh, cutting it close back in November of 2021. And then now we have dreams. Dreams reminds me so much of what too Close to Touch was doing on the first two volumes of I'm Hard to Love, But So Are You. There was also that, um, I, I think it was called The New Low by, by Nightlife from last year, or maybe it was just New Low. Uh, if anybody knows the song I'm talking about, Hansel uh, from Twitter, his band, that kind of like uh, that groove nature, that R&B feel going for, uh, you know, post-hardcore tones, that is what I'm sensing with Dreams, and it delivers in the biggest fucking fashion possible everybody in this band clicks and fires on all cylinders every single time mavic andrew is one of the best vocalists in the scene right now in my opinion he has been since he joined rain city drive um this band just continues to do nothing again but just deliver hit after hit with every single single and i have all of the anticipation in the world for the eventual album from this band later this year uh, Loveless, which is a band that I have given all the praise in the world to on this show so far, uh, gave me another reason to once again give them praise. A uh, brand new single called Killing Time. To be honest, I'm not even sure if I follow Julian on TikTok because he kind of just shows up on my For You page no matter what. Um, and for good reason. I'm not complaining about that because I think Julian is one of the brightest minds in the scene right now, one of the most talented frontmen. Um, I remember hearing the Loveless album, Loveless One, from June of last year and feeling like a new world opened for me. Like I was opening this door and just like blaring in my face with like this beaming light of and everything in the world was just like here is what you've been looking for here is a band for you to champion and i i i love loveless and i love everything that they've delivered to me whether it be on loveless one or um what was that other single that they had back in september sorry i'm a downer uh you know their covers are incredible and then now killing time i i get so much nostalgia out of this track it just like puts me in like a like a really euphoric place from like back when I was uh, growing up and like really, really getting into scene music for the first time. Um, the the pacing of the verses and how it doesn't necessarily change for the chorus. 
but the chorus just like kind of amplifies itself and it feels so giant and atmospheric. And again, the delivery by Julian is one of the standouts for every Loveless song and that is no different on Killing Time. This is an amazing song, amazing band. I I, I need as much Loveless material as I can possibly obtain for the rest of my life. We need to have a conversation about Coheed and Cambria. I, I didn't necessarily expect to say that on this show, but I kind of don't have another choice after hearing their brand new single, The Liars Club. I go back and forth on Coheed pretty often. Um, when I was younger, so the, the 2000s, that, that time period where Coheed would have like really, really been popping. Uh, I fucking car, man. Jesus, fuck. I'm sorry. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed Coheed, uh, and a lot of their material earlier on. And then even once you got into the Aftermen back in 2013, I thought that was their strongest material to date. And, since then, you know, it, it fluctuates, but the singles that they have so far for this new record, I'm going to look up the name of it real quick because it's a, a fucking mouthful and I will not remember it for the life of me uh, until it actually drops. I think it's a May release. Um, why is this thing so long to find? I'm sorry, y'all. Vax's Act 2, A Window of the Waking Mind. Sure, whatever. Uh, May 27th, that record drops. Um... The Liars Club is excellent. Like, genuinely, really, really fucking astounding. I was not expecting to feel as strongly in favor of the song that I do. Um, it's got great rhythm. The chorus is so catchy and infectious. The second verse in particular has like this, uh, like this buildup to the chorus that I thought showed off a lot of what I love so much about Coheed and Cambria. Um, just a successful single, and it does even more to get me excited for Vaxis more than I already was. Brand new Void of Vision single called Dominatrix. This follows Chronicles 1 Lust, which was the Void of Vision EP from, I believe, last fall in 2021. Um, there's a lot of really, really cool shit happening with Dominatrix. It, it has like the same distorted metalcore sound that I think Void of Vision are perfecting at this rate. Um, there's like this vocal effect in the chorus that is a little bit of a far cry from what I think Void of Vision have been doing, but it adds so much depth and personality and character to this track that... I would say wasn't necessarily lost on Chronicles 1 because I love that EP, but already I feel more attached to Dominatrix than I did any of the material on Chronicles 1, and I love that EP again. Um, so Dominatrix shows a lot of promise and potential for what could be coming out of Void Division this year, and if this is the start of Chronicles 2, this is going to be really, really fucking fun. Silverstein have some details for a new record. I will get to that after introducing the brand new single called Ultraviolet. No 
So the album is called Misery Made Me. It is out May 6th via UNFD or Unified. Again, I still am lost on how to say that. I really should just check at this rate. Um, Ultraviolet. Holy shit, this song fucks, dude. And that's not surprising in the slightest because Silverstein just owns the scene in a way that few other bands do, and that's been the case for almost two decades now. Um, Ultraviolet is everything I could ask for from an like alternative rock-based track uh, from Silverstein. And again, when they venture in this alleyway, I think they are one of the best bands in the world at that kind of a sound. The chorus is so explosive. Shane Told is still as goaded of a vocalist as he has been for the band's entire tenure. It's incredible how much Silverstein, like, doesn't really age. Like, they're just constant. They're always at the top of the scene, at the top of their game. We do not deserve Silverstein. I, I feel very comfortable saying that. Um, and... This record on May 6th is going to be a real fucking treat for us. The final single that I will be going in detail on comes from State Champs and it features Ben Barla from Neck Deep. The song is Everybody But You. I do not know if I would call State Champs the best pop-punk band in the world right now, but I feel like they are the heart of pop-punk, if that makes any sense, and that's been the case for quite a while now. I would put them above Neck Deep and The Story So Far and The Wonder Years and their other contemporaries. I just feel like the pop-punk scene kind of begins and ends with state champs and that is a testament to the quality of the material that they constantly put out and everybody but you is no exception this song is energetic it's catchy it's fun it's quirky it's everything that pop punk should stand for and i think state champs are doing as good of a job right now as they ever have been at delivering that kind of a sound the inclusion from ben again from neck deep uh you know it kind of makes like for this uh like a superpower entity, if you will, for pop punk. And I just think that Everybody But You serves as the perfect song to kind of bring forth, or it's not the lead single, but it does bring forth the new record from State Champs. I'll go ahead and uh, you know read off the details. So Kings of the New Age is going to drop on, where is his date real quick? It's May, May 13th. So one week after the aforementioned Silverstein record, uh, May is going to be huge. It, it will genuinely be really fucking big because it's not, it's not only that, but then I remember, um, May 6th, you also have that Stan Atlantic record. So yeah, a lot to look forward to come May. These were the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a four or a five to in the reviews on social media. Children in the Dark by Aviva. 430 by Blunt and Blondes featuring Codis. No Rainbow by Cohen. Donnybrook by Dead Awake featuring I Declare War. Stockholm Syndrome, which is a Muse cover by Era. Mess by Garzy featuring Kellen Quinn. Embers by Glacier Veins. Chaos by Hollywood Undead. Heavy by Hostel Array. Earthquake by Josiah featuring Jaden. Cold Heart by Josh A. Leviathan by Joshua Travis featuring Ryoki Nishida and Chad Capper. 
SOAG by Lado, Overwhelming Power by Left to Suffer, Spirit Breaker by Limbs, the fuck? I genuinely hate my fucking neighborhood, dog. Stressed Out by Lucas Stevens featuring Aries, you're goddamn right I'm stressed out. Ghost by Megan Dia, The Void by Moments, Your Band Sucks by Notions, Sex Dope Gold by Ocean Grove, Conversations by Pennyboard, It Feels Like I'm Dying by Riley featuring West Period, Knock It All Down by Scary Kids Scaring Kids featuring Lil Lotus, Parasite by Secrets, Rain Blood by Shade Apollo featuring Clipped and Kamiata Plus, Guillotine by Straight From The Path, Post Traumatic by The Dooms, and No Hope by Your Misery. So once again, another very, 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 very successful goaded, successful and goaded week for singles. Just a lot to really, really love about the scene, and that's going to expand into the records right now. And I'm going to start with, I think, so there are two records this week that I would classify as being two of the biggest of the year for the scene. And one of them comes from somebody who has kind of been like a mainstay act around us for two decades at this point. And, you know, she deserves her goddamn flowers, and I'm going to do my best to give those to her right now. Love Sucks by Avril Lavigne. It's really, really fair to say that Avril was my, like, first celebrity crush within music. Um, I just remember the way I found her was, like, in, in 2002. I don't know if anybody listening would possibly remember, but Nickelodeon would sometimes air, like, clips of music videos in between episodes of, you know, different cartoons. And the video for Complicated was getting a lot of fucking airtime in the summer of 2002 and i just it, it was very very like eye-opening in a way because at, at that point i had like already been introduced to lincoln park and so i was you know having exposure to like the not heavier side of the scene but like some of the more aggressive stuff like lincoln park like system of a down like corn and here comes avril delivering some like genuine like pop tunes and i say that with respect to her being a pop punk musician but like you know some of that early stuff like it, it generally lies in that pop direction and complicated is basically a pop song pop rock at least and i i felt captivated even if i didn't fully understand what i was listening to on top of that like avril is fucking beautiful and she always has been and that was like really um, you know, a, a part of the initial like attachment and being like, okay, like who is this? What is this? What am I hearing? Um, LimeWire was a really, really big deal back then. It was essentially the only way I could listen to music. So, you know, Nickelodeon showing that the music video was for Complicated by Avril Lavigne made it easy for me to search for it. And I found her that way. And, you know, little six-year-old, seven-year-old me, whatever I was at the point, seven could not stop listening to this fucking song and everything about complicated like the chorus I, I think is one of the catchiest most infectious ever for the scene um 
it, it, it was the right person putting out the right music at the right time. And something else I remember vividly was searching through LimeWire for more of Avril's stuff. The way that Skater Boy is stylized in its title, that was really, really intriguing to me. So that was the other song I downloaded, aside from Complicated. And Skater Boy, that one, you know, you've all heard it by this point, fucking probably ad nauseum for good reason. That is pop punk personified. That is everything that the scene, you know, kind of championed as pop punk all throughout the decade still to this day skater boy resonates with pop punk and i i I look at um love sucks and the track listening for it and after hearing this record i think to myself will any of these songs have the staying power of complicated or skater boy or my happy ending or what the hell or girlfriend probably not but I don't think Avril necessarily made this record with the intention of any of these songs having the lasting legacy of those songs. I really believe she just put out a fun record that kind of calls back to, you know, her, her punk roots, pop punk roots per se. Um, so there were a handful of singles for this record. Maybe not a handful, but there were at least a few. I remember last January, I'm all over the place. I'm so sorry, guys. Um, January on this show, I talked about love it when you hate me, which features black bear. And I had a lot of good things to say about the song back then. I'm going to say even more good things right now. Love it when you hate me. I, I don't know if it's my favorite song of the year so far, but it feels like the biggest. It feels like the song that, you know, has all the potential in the world to be one of the ones at the end of this year where when I think back to like what happened in 2022, one of the songs at the forefront of my brain could very well be Love It When You Hate Me. It it has so much nostalgia for Avril's prior sound while still being contemporary in its delivery, in the Black Bear inclusion, in everything that makes Love It When You Hate Me so fucking good. I cannot stop listening to it. I can't stop listening to that chorus. Everything about Love It When You Hate Me just resonates with me in every facet of my weird little heart. I think this record is bookended in one of the most brilliant ways I've seen in a minute. So you have the opening song, Cannonball, which... So I'm going to say this, and it it's going to sound weird if you haven't heard the song already. Um, when I heard Cannonball the first time in every single instance thereafter... What comes to my mind is Avril Lavigne mixed with baby metal. There are just like certain components of the verses, electronic uh, components, that remind me a lot of what baby metal does and how the more like uh, pop-centric courses kind of uh, c- contrast the, again, electronic-based verses. And it's just done in this really, really cool and efficient manner. Uh, and then the closer, Break of a Heartache. So this is the shortest song on the record. It uh, it runs 1 minute and 51 seconds. I'm looking at the total streams on Spotify. As of right now, this is the least streamed song on the record with 792,610 streams. First of all, that's her least streamed song so far on Love Sucks. Some bands would fucking shit themselves if they got a song to 792k streams first week. So, you know, good on Avril. It just has like so much angst to it, so much punk energy, like pop punk, you know, too, but punk for the most part, I would say. And so the record itself, you know, 12 songs, it's not very long. Um, I could 
So I gave this a perfect score. I truly, truly do believe this is a perfect record. Almost a week later, I still feel that way. Um, I can understand if somebody believed that the material here gets kind of repetitive every once in a while, if not a little bit more often than that. Um, and you know, I, I, I can't lie. Yes, a lot of these songs share more than a few connective threads if you want to, you know, go that route. But I really do believe that there is enough differentiation happening here between songs that give them enough character to stand out on their own. So for instance, Boys Lie, which features MGK, that one is like more and a little bit in alignment with the modern day pop punk revival scene. It's a little bit slower in pace compared to a song that I previously gassed up like Break of a Heartache. And then when you get into the title track later on in the track listing, that one picks up the pace a little bit. It picks up the energy. That one feels more so, um, you know, uh, it, it, it speaks more to what I think older fans of Avril Lavigne would be looking for on Love Sucks. I think Kiss Me Like the World is Ending is a very, very cute and fun song, a little bit quirky too. Uh, and again, that one is so grounded in the pop punk nature of Avril Lavigne. And then the song that immediately follows that called Avalanche, that one takes a little bit of a turn, but I think it really, really pays off. The, the, the build up to that final course feels very like intricate and carefully laid out, carefully mapped out. Um, and it, it, it stands out on its own as one of the highlights of Love Sucks. And again, on a record that I believe was perfect. And I think that every song here is a highlight. You, you, and no matter what turn you take with Love Sucks, I believe that there is perfection at every corner. Um, I think the stretch of songs that spans from Deja Vu into FU into All I Wanted, which features Mark Hoppus from Blink 182, that strand gives you, uh, again, the kind of Avril Lavigne sound that you're probably expecting out of Love Sucks. You know, just straightforward pop punk with some just straight up punk flares thrown in. It works really, really well, in my opinion. And then Dare to Love Me, that one is more of like a piano ball than anything else. It's very, very different from the rest of Love Sucks, yet I really enjoy the variety that it offers to this record. Um, and I came out of Love Sucks believing that this is everything that it was meant to be, everything that it was hyped up to be, that being kind of a return to form for Avril Lavigne while embracing a lot of what the pop punk genre has crafted itself into ever since she came into the fold back in 2002. It feels so nostalgic while also feeling contemporary. It feels like uh, a step forward while embracing everything that got her and ourselves as like, you know, elder emos to this point. Um, it, it just means a lot to me to have a record like this from an artist like Avril Lavigne to be able to gas up in 2022 and say like, yes, this harkens so much back to what I loved as a kid, but it also is so um, grounded in what I even started Ulterior for. Like, this is the kind of music that, you know, if a new artist made this today, I would be saying the same thing. It, it feels nostalgic while feeling contemporary. I think Avril Lavigne studied what, you know, she had done, what other bands around her have been doing this whole time, and put together this really admirable and above all else memorable piece of work that I cannot see myself letting go of anytime soon. I absolutely adore Love Sucks. So now I will get into the debut album by Early Eyes called Look Alive.
I was going to say this was my first experience with an album by Early Eyes, but it was anybody's first experience because, again, this is their debut release. Uh, it's under Epitaph Records, so that is where the scene tie-in comes from. Um, without that label backing them, though, I don't really know how many connections to the alternative scene, per se, that I would have made with Look Alive because there are a lot of really strange and quirky things happening here that I don't necessarily associate with other bands with within this space, if you want to say that. Uh, that being said, there was a lot for me to love and admire about Look Alive. So I, I, I don't think I gave it like its own spotlight, but a couple weeks ago, I did at least mention Dying Plant as a single, and it was the one song beforehand that I got to experience from Early Eyes. Uh, Dying Plant, I, I don't know if I went into like, actually, no, I didn't go into detail at all. I just said that. What am I thinking, man? Um, so with Dying Plant, uh, there's like this drum rhythm at the start of it, and the way that the band, uh, begins to like, wrap itself around that rhythm and incorporate all these other elements into dying plant uh, for me at the time that was a great introduction to early eyes and the material that would be coming forth on look live um so just kind of looking at the the track listing again the only if, if you even want to call it like a downer the only area of this record that i was kind of confused on in my first listen was on the second track chemicals um, there is like this, uh, strange section in the bridge that it's kind of meant to be like distorted, but that like creepy vibe, it's kind of creepy. I don't really believe that blended in well with the rest of the material. It just sounded like so much of a contrast from everything else that it was a little bit difficult for me to really, really get into. The song does pick itself back up with this really cool outro that kind of has like a classic rock vibe to it. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't dislike chemicals at all. It was just that one distorted bridge was a little bit of a disconnect from the rest of look alive in my opinion. Um, but with everything else happening here, there's like so much versatility and variety that makes a look alive. One of the more, um, unique packages. Let's go that uh, route. Unique packages I've been able to hear so far this year. Uh, and then from there, after Chemicals, you get into the third track, uh, Paresthesia. There is a phenomenal bass line in the chorus. It, it, it kind of like a, almost like a 90s R&B feel to it. That was at least my interpretation. It is, uh, again, incredible. Very, very catchy. It, it was one of those like little elements from Look Alive that I was able to take afterwards and look back on and be like, that was a real standout highlight. Um, Revelberry, the fourth track. Um, so there is like a little bit of an accelerated pace compared to the prior songs. It, it feels almost like pop punk esque while not really being pop punk. It still feels so grounded in the almost like indie style of early eyes. And in the second verse, there's like this glitching effect that I believed added a little bit more depth and character to that track. Um, the, the other thing I want to emphasize is when I say indie rock, I also mean to include like this psychedelic vibe at times um so like on the fifth track catch you there is like um i, I guess like hippie-esque feel going there and it's like kind of atmospheric and like the subtle guitar work also takes me back or not takes me back because i wasn't alive then but like kind of harkens back to some 60s and 70s things that were happening in classic rock at, at least that was like again my interpretation of this stuff um 
Halloween 18. So that one jumps ahead a little bit and there's more like 90s stuff with like hip hop and R&B elements. And again, like I know all this doesn't re- doesn't really make sense the way I'm saying it, but these are just all of the different elements and sonic tones found within Local Live and it speaks to why I mentioned this as being a very versatile and varied record. Um and with Halloween 18, there's again like you know, so I mentioned with um chemicals, there was like this distortion phase that I didn't think worked really well. With Halloween 18, there's like glitching sounds that are a little bit similar to chemicals, but I think they fit in better with Halloween 18. Um I mentioned Dying Plan already. Somewhere overgrown. So this is like another psychedelic based song that has an um like an amalgamation of other really cool elements thrown in. Um I, I feel like maybe with somewhat overgrown, it doesn't really utilize those psychedelic tones to the extent of perfection that a song like Rocket did earlier in the track listing, but I thought it still worked out really, really well. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get into the closing song, Trust Fall, and that one has like this piano intro that is initially a little bit startling, and it is the slowest song on the record, yet... I think when I say slow, I only mean in like pacing and tempo, not in delivery. Trust Fall still has the same punch that everything else, or almost everything else rather, on Look Alive does. And the pacing does pick up by the end of it, and I would say that it acts as the perfect closer to this record. And it's a record that I don't really believe I had many expectations for because I just didn't really know what I was going to get. To me, despite having already heard Dying Plant, Early Eyes was still kind of an unproven entity and something that was like unknown to me for that matter. Uh, coming out of this record, I believe I got to hear something that was really unique and interesting. What is going to be the ultimate lasting power and staying power of this record? I don't really know. I admittedly have not gone back to Early Eyes often this last week because of the strength of the other records in comparison to it. But Look Alive was still a very fun experience. I enjoyed it a lot. And I believe there is no harm in anyone checking out this record. Uh, let me get into the brand new record out from, if not from me, called Eulogy. This one I went into completely blind. I had not heard of If Not For Me before last Friday. None of the singles for Eulogy I had saved prior. I didn't review anything from this band. This was a genuine first experience with If Not For Me. And I feel like that made for a better and more enjoyable experience because I wasn't allowed to have expectations. There was really no way for me to be let down. Like, aside from if the record was just, like, not good, there was no way for me to be let down, and I got to just, like, kind of take in this material and be thoroughly captivated by it without any sort of, like, boundaries that I had already set for them. So, when I pressed play on the opening song, Voices, there were a couple of different things that were kind of coming to my brain, so... It established from that point that it, this is a metalcore record, um, but it's metalcore done very, 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 very well. Let me say that now. And it's the kind of metalcore that I don't think necessarily sticks to one sound. It doesn't really give itself any room to be repetitive. So with Voices, 
I can hear as much of like, you know, mid to late 2010s architects as I can the early 2010s and some bands that were trying a metalcore sound and maybe for one reason or, or another, they didn't last. They didn't really work out in the end. And I'm talking about like for all those sleeping upon this dawning, uh, youth and revolt. These were the kind of sounds that were coming to mind. And it, I, I have such nostalgia for that kind of metalcore because it, it, it was happening at a time where I just, kind of didn't really think metalcore could do any wrong it was like reliable to me and that's what eulogy is for the most part it is reliable um and like even aside from those acts i already mentioned i also get like you know little inklings of like moss to flames or caskets here and there like moss to flames i'm mostly referring to the heavier sections and then caskets i can kind of draw parallels in the choruses and I guess to kind of like further establish what I mean by those like Master Flames vibes, Eulogy in some ways, to me at least, feels and sounds like maybe a spiritual successor to Dark Divine, which is the like Master Flames record from back in 2017. Also, notably the softest like Master Flame record, despite still being heavy, it's less heavy than their other material. And that is predominantly the sound I can find with Eulogy. With tracks like Illusion and Better Days, that's kind of all that runs in my brain. It's like, here are these really fast, energetic, pulsating, great sounding metalcore tones in the verses. And then you get to the chorus and it doesn't really scale anything back. It still feels so like uh, thunderous, but that amazing clean voice just resonates with me. And I love everything that Eulogy is offering to me in that area. The fifth song, All Too Familiar. This was such a, a a gem from last week a hidden gem the kind of gem that i know not enough people will get to listen to and experience because of how unknown if not for me are at this point all too familiar it's paced a little bit differently than some of the other stuff on eulogy it's structured a little bit differently the clean chorus is not so like pop ready or, or radio ready you know what i mean it feels like so um like like it doesn't try to be something that it knows it cannot be all too familiar's chorus blends so perfectly into the more subtle and tame metalcore notions happening with eulogy uh following all, all too familiar you have eulogy the title track which serves as an interlude and i guess i was a little bit puzzled by that choice to have the title track be an interlude but you know it is what it is and it is still a cool interlude for everything that it stands for um, too far gone. So that one, again, metalcore tones, like Monster Flames, Caskets, everything that I've been mentioning. And in the verses, the delivery on vocals by Patrick Glover in some ways reminds me a little bit of Johnny Craig. And this is not me praising Johnny or doing anything like that. I'm just saying that is kind of what it reminded me of. And like in all the right ways for all of the good reasons. Um, and if I can like nitpick one other thing about the record, I feel like the penultimate and closing tracks should have maybe could have been switched out. So the closer dearly deceased, that's a great metalcore song and it fits in with everything else happening with eulogy, but the penultimate song powerless. So powerless is a ballad. It is the slowest song on the record, the softest song, and also the most beautiful. And there's like a, like a haunting, chilling tone to that beauty with powerless. It just 
God, okay, uh, like in the chorus, you've held on for so long, but I'm not so strong. Is this how it feels to be powerless? It is, you know, like a kind of a contradiction to the name of the song, Powerless. Powerless is powerful. That song fucking delivers, and I feel like maybe it could have done better being the closer, but you know, I, I don't make these decisions. The band did what they did for a reason, and I'm going to respect that. But that's just like, an, again, one little other area that I could maybe nitpick and try and be like, okay, this is why I don't think Eulogy is a perfect record. And ultimately, I don't believe it's perfect, but I believe it is an incredibly strong showing from a band that like I think could have a very, very, very bright future in the scene if Eulogy gives any indication as to what they can achieve one day down the line. And finally, we have one more record. One of the most anticipated albums of the year for myself and many others in the scene. This is, this is a treat, guys. This is, I have so many good things to say about this record. And I hope I can do it justice. The Death of Peace of Mind by Bad Omens. So let's scale back a little bit with Bad Omens before getting into the Death of Peace of Mind and go back to the initial days of this band starting out on their debut record, their self-titled record from back in 2016. So with some of the singles leading up to that record, like Glass House or uh, The Worst in Me, there was more than a few similarities between that band and bad omens and bring me the horizon um and you know i i don't want to be like oh they were copying bring me they were ripping off bring me i don't believe that in any way but at the time they just happened to have songs that sounded like bring me the horizon on step eternal noah sebastian the vocalist of bad omens just happened to have a very very similar look to ollie sykes um you know from the hair to the tattoos like there were a lot of similarities and there were so many people in the comments on YouTube. I remember specifically for the worst in me commenting all these things about them being baby, bring me the horizon, bring me the horizon ripoffs. Um, I I'm pretty sure somebody might've said that Noah looked like wish Ollie, Ollie Sykes, which is fucked up, but um, I kind of get it. Um, but you know, despite all of these things that people could clown bad omens for the thing that they could not drag this band over was the quality of the material. Bad omens have been delivering ever since they began. There is nothing to bad omens that I believe has ever failed. This band takes no L's. Everything they do is a fucking hit. They do not miss. And uh, again, for them to have this kind of trajectory from the beginning, it speaks to the musicianship of everybody involved in Bad Omens and just how talented they are, how good they are, and my belief that this is what they were all meant to do in life. So if um, the, the self-titled was meant to be like Sempaternal and then Finding God Before God Finds Me from 2019 was meant to be like That's the Spirit per se, then I would classify the death of peace of mind as being both amo 
and post-human because there's a lot happening with the death of peace of mind that people probably expect out of bad omens the heavier stuff like this is true to who they've been but then there are a lot of things happening here that venture outside of their boundaries and embrace more of just like a like a pop nature and something that you know bring me the horizon got a lot of shit for and i'm pretty sure bad omens will as well but in my opinion bad omens delivered as massive of a fucking home run as any band could have with these kind of experimental sounds uh so the lead single which was the title track the death of peace of mind i remember reviewing it and saying that it kind of sounded like the weekend at some points and i mainly mean that with the verses how slow they are how chilling they can be at times um and then later on in the song you get into the breakdown and what that breakdown did was show kind of what was going to be happening at like at large with this record in the sense that there will be these moments that are way more experimental than what Bad Omens fans are used to. But at its core, the Death of Peace of Mind is still as heavy of a fucking record as anything Bad Omens have done prior. Uh, so I could not stop listening to the title track after getting through this record. It was one of those songs that like I was able to see through the lens of the entire record, just how good the Death of Peace of Mind really, really is. And with some of the other singles, like What Do You Want From Me, I feel like that one also did a really good job at showing the different side of Bad Omens that would be explored on this record, because What Do You Want From Me is like kind of electronic, kind of industrial, kind of alternative. It's just like these different things mixed into one package that is so rewarding and fulfilling to get through and admire the way that I did. Um, Artificial Suicide, which was released as a single alongside What Do You Want From Me, that one speaks more to what people are familiar with with Bad Omens. I would say Artificial Suicide is probably maybe the dethrone of this record. Dethrone having been the heaviest song on Finding God Before God Finds Me, and Artificial Suicide, from what I remember, I believe is the heaviest song on the record. Uh, like a Villain, so there's a lot of things for me to say about that single because uh, what we got to experience with the record is the song before Like a Villain, which is What It Cost. What It Cost, you look at the runtime, 1 minute, 43 seconds, and you would think, okay, it's an interlude. Above being an interlude, it is a prelude to Like a Villain. What It Costs is the actual intro song for Like a Villain, and being able to experience these two songs side by side, one after the other, it totally enhances the listening experience for Like a Villain, and I already thought the world of that song to begin with. Um, and then, like, as far as, like, the material here that is brand new, uh, the opening song, Concrete Jungle, does a little bit of what I mentioned with the title track in how it feels very calculated and, like, the slow pace that builds up to the heavier sections, it like, kind of, like, uh, I don't want to say, like, holds your hand through the record, but it at least gives you a clear understanding of what you're going to be hearing for the rest of the runtime. Uh, Nowhere to Go and Take Me First. These two songs do everything right in showing how good Bad Omens have gotten at crafting these, like, straightforward alternative rock songs that you can liken to Bring Me the Horizon and Linkin Park, and just the way that Bad Omens belongs in that conversation and that narrative, and how good they are at this stuff. 
And even understanding that this band was going to be experimenting and taking chances on this record, a song like Bad Decisions still seemingly came out of nowhere and delivered every bit of ferocity that the heavier songs on this record do, despite Bad Decisions being a lot softer, a lot slower, and the lyrical moments on Bad Decisions are some of the brightest in the history of Bad Omens in my opinion. No God, no religion, just bad, bad decisions. You can be all I got, what's the difference, Hennessy, and a lot of bad decisions. That slow pace for bad decisions, it was the right move, the only move that could have been made to enhance the listening experience of this amazing song. Uh, just pretend that one, it fits more in with what I mentioned about songs like Nowhere to Go and Take Me First and that alternative rock sound. Just Pretend has one of the most explosive and best courses that Bad Omens have ever written, and I believe that's saying something when I think Bad Omens do nothing but deliver on their courses. Uh, songs like Who Are You, Somebody Else, and I Don't Want the Money, they are more in alignment with the experimental, softer, electronic pop stuff that I've been talking about. I Don't Want the Money, that one in the verses has like this real danceable factor to it, and it was a little bit jarring, yet... I just couldn't help but like move my head around to that song and just think like, fuck, is there anything that Bad Omens cannot do? And then the closing song, Miracle, it it's not really a combination of everything that you got to hear, but it just feels like the stamp on the experimentation of the Death of Peace of Mind because Bad Omens could have chosen to close with anything and they closed with a song that it's soft it's heavy, it's slow, it's brooding, it's a little bit energetic, or more energetic than some of the softer material like Bad Decisions. It just kind of has like a... It, it, it feels perfect, for lack of a better way of really phrasing it. It feels perfect in its closing spot for the Death of Peace of Mind. And, you know, 15 songs here. This is a, a long record in, like, you know, the grand scope of things, but... This kind of went by when I first heard it. It was a breeze. I remember listening to this record and just kind of being lost in it. I was so lost in this album the first time I heard it. I replayed Like a Villain and didn't realize that I replayed it until I was halfway through it. And I was like, oh shit, I really just went back through Like a Villain when I didn't need to. I could have just moved on to Bad Decisions. Um, it There's so much to love about this record. And at the same time, I feel like there is an audience out there that is after one specific type of sound from these kinds of bands and for that reason they're not going to give the death of peace of mind a fair chance they're going to listen to maybe some of the first few songs decide it's not for them and move on and if it's not for you that's fine if you at least give the album a chance and decide you don't like it okay you know totally your decision you know music is subjective everybody is allowed to like and dislike what they want to but in my opinion the Death of Peace of Mind is one of the best and most complete packages of songs this scene has had in a fucking minute. There is not a dull moment on this record. There is not a moment that I would have tweaked or changed around or wished like the production on it was done differently, the structure was different. No, none of that. The Death of Peace of Mind is an absolutely perfect, outstanding, stellar, magnificent, incredible body of work that I think Bad Omens should be proud of, and every fan of Bad Omens should feel rewarded by. And that's it. That was every album and single from last week that I had to review. Um, yeah, I don't really think there's much else to say. Uh, I know I said earlier that I'm starting a new job next week, and... I will see how that 
affects the production end of Ulterior. I don't really think it'll be too bad. If anything, it might force me to get off my ass and put out these episodes sooner in the week than Wednesday or Thursday like I've been doing. So, you know, maybe this ends up being a good thing and not something that can be like seen as detrimental to the platform's uh, productivity. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. We'll work through it. It'll be okay. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.